Chapter Thirty Seven of the Queen's Necklace by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An alibi. Monsieur de Charny entered a little pale, but upright and not apparently suffering. Take care, sister," said the Comte d'Artois. "What is the use of asking so many people, brother?" i will ask the whole world till i meet someone who will tell you you are deceived charny and philippe bowed courteously to each other and philippe said in a low voice you are surely mad to come out wounded one would say you wish to die one does not die from the scratch of a thorn in the bois de bouillon replied charny the queen approached and put an end to this conversation monsieur de charny said she these gentlemen say that you were at the ball at the opera yes your majesty tell us what you saw there does your majesty mean whom i saw there precisely and no complacent reserve monsieur de sarny must i say madame the cheeks of the queen assumed once more that deadly paleness which at many times that morning alternated with a burning red. "'Did you see me?' she asked. "'Yes, your majesty, at the moment when your mask unhappily fell off.' Marie Antoinette clasped her hands. "'Monsieur,' said she, almost sobbing, "'look at me well. Are you sure of what you say?' madame your features are engraved in the hearts of your subjects to see your majesty once is to see you for ever but monsieur said she i assure you i was not at the ball at the opera oh madame said the young man bowing low has not your majesty the right to go where you please i do not ask you to find excuses for me I only ask you to believe. I will believe all your majesty wishes me to believe, cried he. Sister, sister, it is too much, murmured the count. No one believes me, cried she, throwing herself on the sofa with tears in her eyes. Sister, pardon me, said the count tenderly. You are surrounded by devoted friends this secret which terrifies you so we alone know it is confined to our hearts and no one shall drag it from us while we have life this secret oh i want nothing but to prove the truth madame said andrea someone approaches the king was announced the king oh so much the better he is my only friend he would not believe me guilty even if he thought he saw me the king entered with an air of calmness a strange contrast to the disturbed countenances of those present sire said the queen you come apropos there is yet another calumny another insult to combat what is it said louis advancing an infamous report aid me sire for now it is no longer my enemies that accuse me but my friends your friends yes sire monsieur le comte d'artois 
monsieur de tavernay and monsieur de charny affirm that they saw me at the ball at the opera at the ball at the opera cried the king a terrible silence ensued madame de lamotte saw the mortal paleness of the queen the terrible disquietude of the king and of all the others and with one word she could have put an end to all this and saved the queen not only now but in the future from much distress but she said to herself that it was too late that they would see if she spoke now that she had deceived them before when the simple truth would have been of such advantage to the queen and she should forfeit her newly acquired favor so she remained silent the king repeated with an air of anguish at the ball at the opera does monsieur de provence know this but sire it is not true monsieur le comte d'artois deceived monsieur de tavernay is deceived monsieur de charny you are deceived one may be mistaken all bowed come continued she call all my people ask every one you say it was saturday yes sister well what did i do on saturday let someone tell me for i think i am going mad and shall begin at last to believe that i did go to this infamous ball but gentlemen if i had been there i would have confessed it at this moment the king approached her every cloud gone from his brow well marie said he if it was saturday there is no need to call your women or only to ask them at what hour i came to your room i believe it was past eleven oh cried the queen joyfully you are right sire and she threw herself into his arms then blushing and confused she hid her face on his shoulder while he kissed her tenderly well said the comte d'artois full of both surprise and joy i will certainly buy spectacles but on my word i would not have lost this scene for a million of money would you gentlemen philippe was leaning against the wainscot as pale as death charny wiped the burning drops from his forehead therefore gentlemen said the king turning toward them i know it to be impossible that the queen was that night at the ball at the opera believe it or not as you please the queen i am sure is content that i know her to be innocent well said monsieur d'artois provence may say what he pleases but i defy his wife to prove an alibi in the same way if she should be accused of passing the night out charles pardon sire now i will take my leave well i will go with you and once more kissing the queen's hand they left the room monsieur de tavernay said the queen severely when they were gone do you not accompany monsieur d'artois philippe started all the blood rushed to his head and he had hardly strength to bow and leave the room andrea was also to be pitied she knew that philippe would have given the world to have taken monsieur de charny away with him but she felt as though she could not follow to comfort him leaving charny alone with the queen or only with madame de lamotte who she instinctively felt was worse than no one but why this feeling she could not love charny that she told herself was impossible so slight and recent an acquaintance 
and she who had vowed to love no one. Why then did she suffer so much when Charny addressed words of such respectful devotion to the queen? Was not this jealousy? Yes, she thought, but only jealousy that this woman should draw all hearts toward her. While the whole world of gallantry and love passed her coldly by, it was no attraction to be a living problem, ever cold and reserved like Andrea. They felt it, turned from her beauty and her intellect, and contented themselves with mere politeness. Andrea felt this deeply, but on the night when they first met Charny, he showed toward her nothing of this coldness or reserve. She was to him as interesting as any other beautiful woman, and she felt cheered and warmed by it. But now the queen absorbed his every look and thought, and left her lonely again. Therefore, she did not follow her brother, although she suffered in his sufferings, and almost idolized him. She did not, however, attempt to mingle in the conversation, but sat down by the fire almost with her back to the queen and Charny, while Madame de Lamotte stood in one of the deep windows, nearly out of sight, although she could observe all that passed. The queen remained silent for some minutes, then she said almost to herself, would any one believe that such things pass here? Then turning to Charny, she said, We hear, sir, of the dangers of the sea and of the fury of tempests, but you have doubtless encountered all their assaults, and you are still safe and honored. Madame. Then the English, our enemies, have attacked you with their guns and their power, but still you are safe, and on account of the enemies you have conquered, the king felicitates and admires you, and the people bless and love you. Therefore, blessed are such enemies who menace us only with death. Our enemies do not endanger existence, it is true, but they add years to our lives. They make us bow the head, fearing, though innocent, to meet, as I have done, the double attacks of friends and enemies. And then, sir, if you knew how hard it is to be hated— Andrea listened anxiously for his reply, but he only leaned against the wall and grew pale. The queen looked at him and said, "'It is too hot here. Madame de Lamotte opened the window. Monsieur is accustomed to the fresh sea breezes. He would stifle in our boudoirs.' "'It is not that, madame, but I am on duty at two o'clock, and unless your majesty wishes me to remain—' "'Oh, no, monsieur!' We know what duty is. You are free, said the queen in a tone of slight pique. Charny bowed and disappeared like a man in haste, but in a minute they heard from the antechamber the sound of a groan and people hurrying forward. The queen, who was near the door, opened it and uttered an exclamation and was going out, when Andrea rose quickly, saying, Oh, no, madame! Then they saw through the open door the guards assisting Monsieur de Charny, who had fainted. The queen closed the door and sat down again, pensive and thoughtful. At last she said, "'It is an odd thing, but I do not believe Monsieur de Charny was convinced.' "'Oh, madame, in spite of the king's word, impossible!' "'He may have thought the king said it for his own sake.' "'My brother was not so incredulous,' said Andrea. "'It would be very wrong,' continued the queen, not heeding her. "'He could not have as noble a heart as I thought. "'But, after all, 
Why should he believe? He thought he saw me. They all thought so. There is something in all this, something which I must clear up. Andrea, I must find out what it all means. Your Majesty is right. You must investigate it. For, continued the Queen, people said they saw me at Monsieur Mesmer's. But your Majesty was there, said Madame de Lamotte. Yes, but I did not do what they insist they saw me do. And they saw me at the opera, and I was not there. Oh, cried she, at last I guess the truth. The truth, stammered the Countess. Oh, I hope so, said Andrea. Send for Monsieur de Crosny, said the Queen joyously. End of chapter 37 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia